Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 95 of Real Blend, a podcast that is still trying to figure out what Frozen 2 is all about. And I'll <laughs> fall on the sword for that one individually because I watched that movie finally. No clue what was happening. I've seen film. it twice, Sean, yeah. and I have no, I could not tell you the plot of Frozen 2 right now. Yeah, I've turned, it twice. toys, though. Toys. Uh, yeah, I know. But I turned to Michelle three different times during that movie and I was like, am I supposed to know what's happening? Like, what is going on? I don't know how kids follow that. But, but songs. Pe- I saw a great tweet the other day from somebody who, who said that um, that the songs in the film were not memorable. But when when she was home, all the kids were singing the song. So it was like this divide of the adults not liking it and the kids loving it, which yeah. Pixar finds that balance where it actually works perfectly. Right. It combines the adult and the child experience. But this one, I don't I think it was more for kids than it was for adults. Yeah. I laughed at one funny scene. I know. I'll wrap it up. I promise, Gabe. But there's one really funny scene where. The uh, recap. Well, Elsa. No, Elsa is in like some chamber of memories where everything is coming oh, to life. let it go. And someone sings let it go. And she <laughs> blows it off like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, I thought that was cheesy. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing's cheesy. It's terrible. Anyway, my episode highlights. Hi, everybody. We're back for episode number 95 of uh, Real Blend. And this week, we're going to be doing the Black Widow trailer reaction. That thing dropped at three o'clock in the morning um so we all woke up to some new black widow action uh the boys have seen little women and are going to be able to talk about it by the boys i mean kevin and jake not pj and brendan they have not seen little women yet uh and we have you don't know their life (laughs) very true and uh we have an interview on this week's episode with the director of jumanji the next level uh kevin and i got to sit down and speak with jake kasdan yeah uh, the director during the junket in uh, cabo san lucas mexico and I made a very, very bad Star Wars joke <laughs> yes. that arguably might go down as one of the worst. Wait, I have not jokes. heard this. I can't wait for Jake to hear Don't it. Give it away. All oh. I'll tell you is that Jake Kasdan loved it. <laughs> but it's, God, that must Sean, mean it's horrible. Sean, it's, please back me up here. It's, it, it, it's really bad. It's <laughs> like, like I got it's chills. Really, I got chills. It's, so bad. Yeah. And I, and I and I pitched it to Sean before we did it. And I'm not yeah. going to tell you what it is. I know we have to move on. Yeah. But it's so bad that I I just was so thankful that Jake Kasdan genuinely peeled over and laughed. Like he was like he did. Like he was on his like he was like rolled over laughing. He was like he said he never heard it before. That. And I think that's a lie. I mean, you th- we'll, you'll hear it in the context. <laughs> and right, afterwards, his poor publicist had to answer <laughs> why he did this podcast to begin with. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Jake Kasdan actually told us afterwards, and we'll, we'll get to the interview. He just basically said that he had a great time talking more long form, Sean, right? Like it was more of like he liked being able to talk about the movie really in a longer did, yes. format. Once again, reminded that uh, that these long form interviews work really well. Uh, right. Real Blood. You guys might disagree uh, as you listen to us, but we tend to think that they work pretty well. But we like yeah. them. We like them. Yeah, and we, by we, we I yeah, mean... We well, let me introduce you guys. We're oh, so yeah, far we're into like the show. We're like 18 minutes into the show, and we haven't yeah. even introduced ourselves yet. That's Jake Hamilton of Fox 3 hey. in Chicago. And the other guy is Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, guys. Hi, Sean. Hey, How are Kevin you, is like, Kevin, what floor are you on? I'm on floor four. Jake and I are I'm on the same three, hotel. I'm on three, so we're like probably like 30 yards away from each other, but Gabe won't let us be tell, in the same room. <laughs> tell everybody why you guys are in L.A. Uh, and what else you're fitting in over the course of this week. Uh, we're here, uh, to talk to today. We're talking to, uh, Superman himself, Man of Steel, Mr. Henry Cavill. Tomorrow we're chatting with a little known director that, uh, you probably haven't heard of named Clint Eastwood. 
Uh, what? And yeah, and then we're uh, we're hopping out. Of this, uh, Kevin's doing Star Wars. And then we're hopping over uh, on a red eye to Boston to uh, interview the cast of Little Women. So that's our next, what is that, 72 hours, 36 that hours? That is a lot, of, that's yeah. a lot of people to talk to. And a quick little behind-the-scenes note. we uh, Before we do our show, we, we log on to Skype. And when we do our show every single week, we're on Skype with each other so we can see each other's faces. And Jake and I and Sean, we're going over our questions for The Witcher and how we're going to approach the Snyder Cut element of that question and it's so funny to me because Jake and I didn't work together on our questions we went both went back to our rooms last night and like this morning we wake up and we're both coming at it from a, an interesting angle of trying to get him to possibly answer the question of the Snyder Cut element we have two different questions and as I'm saying this now I want to timestamp this I am extremely nervous to ask this and I'm very curious Jake and I think we're going to get the same like I am uh, salivating at the idea but, of you getting Snyder Cut answers, though. You Jake, know, I what are the chances right we get away. the exact word-for-word answer from a completely different question about Snyder I'd Cut? I'd say a solid 80%. Like, we, like <laughs> you and I have both, like, Henry Cavill is a very nice guy, uh, and, and he's always, every time we've ever spoken to him, he's always been a good interview. But he yeah. also is smart, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows how to protect his brand and his image. And I have seen multiple instances, Kevin, and I'm sure you have too, where I have seen his answer to one of my questions be given to someone else, oh. even though they asked an entirely different. Like, he is going to tell you what he wants to tell you, no matter what you ask. Right. Yeah, yeah you, you literally um, could say, Henry, what's your first name? And he'll go, you know what? It was. You know, the thing about The Witcher is. It was is, great working with this director. <laughs> those are really frustrating, yeah. too. Those are the most frustrating answers. Because you, you want to stop him in the middle of the answer and be like, I did. That's not what yeah. I asked you. And that's, the, that's the weird thing, though, is like, and Jake and I's questions are, are very different from the angle we're coming from. I'm just curious if we're going to get the same answer. We'll see. Well, we will find we'll out. See. Yes, we will find out. Okay, we start um, our episodes now with the weekly poll, which gets posted to the Real Blend Twitter account. Uh, on Fridays, and then everybody can sort of chip in. And this one was dedicated to a television show that is um, captivating all of us, not Watchmen, although I watched episode oh, three of Watchmen, dude. and that is really, really Wait, wait how, how far are you into Watchmen? I just finished episode three. Oh, dude, you you, you don't even know anything yet, man. No, your mind is about to be freaking blown. Gabe, back me up. I'm excited. Imaginary yes. Gabe, back me up. Imaginary Gabe gave two imaginary thumbs hey, up. Okay, hey, like Sean. The last two hours of Watchmen are two of the best hours of TV I've seen in hey, years. Sean. In years. Yes, I was Kevin. curious if you had a chance to read the interview with Damon, Damon Lindelof where he talks about his yeah. favorite hamburger place. Dude, don't you have a hard out? Uh, Jake, did you see this? Uh, Damon Lindelof's I, favorite hamburger well, place? I mean, this one's pretty obvious because he loves Watchmen a burger, right? <laughs> That's pretty good. But his actual favorite <laughs> burger place is yeah. Rorschach. Rorschach Shack. Damn it. I, almost, I, ah. I had that one. That was actually Damn good. It. I like, missed that one. Dude, Rorschach. delivery is like 75%, I know. man. Rorschach Shack. I'm like super. That was actually, that was, that was okay. That was good. All right. So the episode, uh, the weekly poll is which episode of The Mandalorian has been the best so far? We have four uh, episodes to choose from. Episode one, two, three, and four. Uh, Jake, I'm going to ask you, as our resident Star Wars fanatic, uh, which episode of The Mandalorian do you think ranked the highest with Real Blend listeners who participated in the poll? It's got to be, uh, I'd imagine, episode three, The Sin. It is episode three. Yeah. 58% people yeah, uh, weighing in. That. And that's I, with uh, all of the... I was not crazy about episode four. Oh, um, I loved episode it, four. It just, my, my only knock is that, look, I get that... that 
The Mandalorian is inspired by Westerns, and Westerns are inherently inspired by Kurosawa, and, and, and Seven Samurai has been done a lot of different ways. And, and, and yes. it doesn't surprise me that we got a Seven Samurai episode. My only knock is that I was hoping that we would get a different angle. And it just I, once we started going down that way, it sort of felt like, okay, we're, so we're getting Seven Samurai. I'm curious to see what they do with this. And then about halfway through, I go, oh, that's it. That's we're just it's we're just doing samurai. that. We're just <laughs> yeah. doing that. Like, yes. can I? Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. It was cool seeing the walker and and some of the visuals. Though I would argue this was no one's giving flack for this episode for being as dark as it was. Everyone talked about how dark Game of Thrones was, but no one's was, talking about how dark this episode dark. was. Yeah. Well, first it's the of first, all, at first episode I felt like they hit the ceiling in terms of how much they could spend. Um, and then I also felt like, oh, like so we're just doing. We're just doing Seven Samurai. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's fine. Oh, it's the no. first episode the of the bloom show. Bloom is off the rose. Listen It'll to be. you. Well, oh, the Game my of Thrones episode you're referring to, I had to I had to change my television screen 15 times. Uh, I don't think my TVs recovered from that Game of Thrones episode yet. It's still dark. Um, but my the episode of Mandalorian, I thought looked great. I thought episode four was fantastic. I thought Bryce you didn't Dallas think it was dark. No, I didn't find it dark at all. I thought Bryce Dallas Howard did a phenomenal. Phenomenal job with that direction. See, I, I Jake Jake makes a face. I actually thought she did a great job with the story. I know you didn't love episode four, but I thought episode four, to me, each one of these episodes, and what I love about episode four was Gina Carano. I love that character. I love Baby Yoda. I love every aspect of it. But I want to give a shout out to Pedro Pascal because it's not easy to give emotion like that through a helmet. And there's something about the character that I love watching so much. And even though I can't see his face or see his eyes, there's something about the way Pedro uses his voice where every single emotion, even a head nod without a vocal, comes across emotionally. And I don't know how they're achieving that. I don't know if it's the built-in element of what we know about the character, the music. But I just wanted to say that that character emotionally, surprisingly, is connected to me in a way that I I couldn't expect. I want to throw out one theory I read, too, uh, from this past episode and get your guys' reactions to it, that the girl he meets in that village um, is a former Mandalorian who chose to take her helmet off and (sighs) is not able to put it back on. And that's why she was such a great shot. And... You know, because as they say, what happens to you? If I mean, you take that line that off? was in there for a reason. Yeah, well, what happens to you if you if you take that off? And he said, "Well, you just can't put it back on again." And uh, someone posted that they believe that she's probably a former Mandalorian, and I think that's pretty that's pretty dope. Because then then it would add significant weight to that episode. Because again, you're right. I don't want just these little standalone adventures. I want it to feed into the bigger picture of whatever's happening in this. And so far, it hasn't yet. Right? Like, I want. I want by episode five, I want to start getting to like, what did they want baby Yoda for? Where is he really taking him to? Like, I kind of want some of these things to be answered. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, We'll see where it's going. But so far, we're all on board. Um, My reaction series. So if you guys happen to be watching The Mandalorian, please go over to our Cinema Blend YouTube page. Check out my reaction series. It's been a ton of fun so far. I'm curious to see where that is going. Uh, And maybe if we can get going with a Watchmen reaction series, I kind of would like to do that. I wonder if I'm too late to the party for that. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, this week's interview, uh, we were able to go to uh, Cabo San Lucas and sit down with Jake Kazan, who has a movie coming out uh, later this month, Jumanji, The Next Level. Uh, we talked really candidly about coming back for a sequel. Kevin had an excellent, excellent question for him about um, 
when whether you come back for uh, business reasons or creative reasons, I thought that that was a fantastic question to get into with him. Uh, we talked about getting that cast back together and doing more things with them, and then we talked about them going up against Star Wars uh, yet again, which, not to spoil it, leads into Kevin's horrible Star Wars <laughs> joke. And so without further ado, our Real Blend interview with Jake Kasdan for Jumanji The Next Level. All right, well, first of all, Jake Kazan, thank you so much for joining our Real Blend podcast. Uh, Sean O'Connell and I are here. Our other co-host, Jake Hamilton, is not here today, but he's here in spirit with yes. questions as well. Um, you have a film that makes close to a billion dollars in the first Jumanji, uh, which is insane amount of money for a film, and it had amazing legs. And I, I was curious, when you jump into a sequel, how much of it is because of a business decision, because a movie does so well, and the other side of it being necessary to tell the story and keep it going further. And where is that? What is that balance? You know, for me, it really needed to be both things in order to be worth doing. I, you know, the, and and truthfully, the the business part of it, I think, um, I think the business part of it is what makes it uh, likely that it'll happen. Hmm. For me, what made it what made it appealing to me to actually do it was that. You know, I just sort of felt like that's not enough. We, we we have to have a story that we actually want to tell as much as we wanted to tell the first story, or we probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> and um, you know, the we went through the whole sort of first movie. I was never really thinking about that at all, truthfully. Um, and then it was sort of after the first movie had come out. And we were talking about it, and there was the, obviously the conversation of like, well, can we come up with something? Is there something that feels right? And we started to dig into it, and then when we kind of landed on this idea was when I felt like there was something I wanted to do there. Is that weird for a creative process, though, when you have the pressure of a film doing really well, and then how do you know if your creative process is coming from an idea of the business side or the storytelling? Like, how do you know what's wrong and right in your mind about what the story's going to be? Um, I think that I'm personally built with enough sort of um, skepticism <laughs> and anxiety uh, to where, you know, I was just very conscious that, like... Uh, Absent an idea that was really exciting me, I could see only gloom and doom ahead. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I wanted to be really excited about it. And I, and then the flip side of that is, I knew that if we could find something that we were really excited about, it would be kind of a great thing to do because we all loved doing the first one together. There's just a pure sort of like fun aspect of these things like we we really love making these yeah. movies and you know the thought of getting that group back together and doing it again was obviously really appealing like that that part was a huge draw yeah. so it's a, it's a balance which is it would be great to do this if we could but let's not like let's try as hard as we can not to delude ourselves yeah. about it and make sure it's actually a worthy idea and let's be a real check on each other you know like let's let's be be direct and have the sort of tough conversations and also just never stop working on it you know like like be relentless as we can about trying to come up with the best version i want to bring you back to the first one um because any movie you know you're super excited 
Can't wait for it to get released. It's so hard to find a release window nowadays, <laughs> and you get told you're going up against Star Wars. Yeah. What's your initial reaction to that? Do you text your dad? <laughs> dad, we're going up against each other. You're not going to believe this. Uh, they, uh, yeah, my initial reaction to it was... I thought they were nuts. Bad idea. But then you get to okay. So now you're doing a sequel. And I walked into those offices. I would say every month for like six months, and said, "Explain to me one more time why this is a good idea." And then they turned out that that time at least they were right. You know that there was what they saw was that there was room even. Opposite, you know, Star Wars is not like anything else, right? Yeah. Star Wars is uh, almost beyond a movie. It's like a, it's like an American institution, <laughs> sure. right? It's a, it's a, um, it's like our national mythology or something. <laughs> and it, it, I think that when people go to see Star Wars, which everyone does and everyone will and everyone and everyone should, and I certainly will. I'll be there first day. Mm. You know, um, it's not like that's all the movies they can see. Sure. <laughs> they, they can it's still come see Jumanji afterwards. Coming back around, though, to go up against them a second time, you have this newfound confidence because you know you have an audience built in. Um, I feel exactly as I did the first time. So I mean, which, which is, no, I feel like it, it'll be. I feel like I learned from the first one that it's possible for Star Wars to be out there and for people to go see another movie yeah, too yeah. and I think that we just do something really different than what they do it's just not the same thing I'm gonna throw know? out I have an 11 year old son mm. whose Jumanji the, your Jumanji was what Star Wars was to me like yeah. oh but, that's amazing thing to hear and he's not as into Star Wars like I'm showing him all the new Star Wars movies and he's like yeah these are fun but he watches Jumanji a ton and can't wait for this <laughs> so I'm telling you man there's a generational you know blip there where they're moving on to something else too well that's and you're giving I, I, them something. I love that our movie can be that for your kid that's yeah. a great thing to hear and it's 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 sort of has been uh, you know it's a big deal for my kids as you can imagine yeah. and um you know that's one of the like dreams of making a movie like this then honestly it's a it's something that i didn't even realize was something i wanted okay. you know it was but and i'd in fact it always you know i'd made comedies and i'd always thought like gotta be careful about like going too soft because i had made mostly r-rated comedies sure. with kind of like a hard edge and i was, I was like man, once you do the kid thing you never come back <laughs> you know, it be funny about and then it turned out that making a movie that my kids felt strongly about and thought was funny and got excited about and you'd see them start to, you know, internalize that thing the way that I did with so many movies when I was a kid was turned out to be like the most, it was like one of the best things ever, you know? Awesome. So this thing that I had sort of like been a little bit afraid of, which was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Right, you, right, know? Right. you know, Jake, you mentioned, awesome. you mentioned your kids, you mentioned being a kid. Um, as somebody who grew up in the, with the father that you have in regards to the writer that he is and the director that he is, and you're in that household, like and you're, you're, these are films that have changed everything in regards to Empire Strikes Back and Jedi. Can you? Do you ever? Did you ever go to your dad and ask him questions about like his <laughs> writing process and his filmmaking process when you were a kid? And like, was there 
Like, what was what were those moments like? Yeah, I mean, because now that you were doing what you're doing, I can't imagine what it was like for you to be growing up around that type of filmmaker and, and yeah. writer. I know it's a it's it's uh, this incredibly uh, fortunate thing, and absolutely, I was asking questions always growing up. You know, I think that I. Did you ever tell your dad to tell to tell you I'm your father? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I would do. Dad, can you please say I'm your father? <laughs> Should I hear the words? Just so I can hear them come out of your mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I think we uh, we have this lucky thing where we've always been really close, and as a result, I had this incredible proximity to. You know, I grew up watching this thing and how this works really up close. Yeah, and it's a kind of education that you know it was um, an unbelievable sort of gifts and I am certainly like you know hugely grateful for that and always very aware of it and you know he's my number one sort of mentor mm. um, it wasn't until these last till these movies that I've ever really made a movie that was anything like anything he had ever worked oh, on interesting in, in sort of you know yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still yeah. your voice. It, it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. I think, very much, but it's the first time that, you know, you could even say that... You, you, it's the first time where you could look at Jumanji and say, like, there are elements of some of those movies that, you know, that he was part of. Scale. That, yeah, scale and a certain kind of adventure story, you know, that's, that's like, uh, you know, the, these appear somewhere on that continuum. It's obviously a very different thing, and we have this central conceit that is that dominates these movies, which is the, you know, the body swap aspect of the, the kids and the avatars bodies. Um, but certainly it's a, it's, it's a cool thing to, you know, it, it's great. It's a, it's something he loves and I love, you know, you also get to do something that I think is really rare for Jumanji movie and even Zathura too, which is that you're catching up with a character, um, who has now left the game and is trying to lead a normal life. You know, we've never really followed the other characters in the movies after the fact. Right. You know, you're getting a sequel, a traditional sequel right. with, with some of these characters. Can you maybe talk about finding that as a story motivator and, and talking about, like, you, you get to question, like, what happens to these people after they survive a Jumanji <laughs> yeah, adventure? Right. Yeah. How do they feel and how do they go on being normal people? Yeah, on just one scene, after movie. they've been Jumanji? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you do after that? Uh, it's funny you say that. That was actually, like... a. To me, that was one of the early inciting ideas, like when I was talking about, like, what's going to make this worth it. Like, one of the things that I was immediately able to kind of start riffing on with the, with um, Jeff Penkner and Scott Rosenberg, who I wrote this movie with, um, you know, it's just like, well, let's just think about it for a second. What would have happened to these kids after this, both in terms of just their personality, what do we see for them and then also like what would be the transformative effect of the adventure that they had and how would that affect what they've done yeah and that was sort of one of the early ways to start to get a foothold on what this movie could be you know and the specifically this idea that you know spencer has achieved this sort of um more actualized uh, confidence by the end of the first movie. But, you know, 
the thing I relate to in that is that that's always really tenuous. You know, it doesn't take that much to get thrown off balance for a certain kind of person. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, that we'd be picking up his story, seeing him in that, in that place. And then, and then, you know, this, this kind of larger idea that, that flowed from that was just because you've won the game, just because you've had the success and uh, figured out how to get out with all that that represents in the first movie, right? So there's the actually like the game victory, but then there's this sense of like, there's this idea, you know, uh, what kind of person do you want to be and that you can kind of decide what you want to be and that that's part of the journey that those kids are on, you know? Just because you've had that experience once doesn't mean that you don't continue to need that experience. Right, and sure. that, in fact, you know, the game doesn't sort of stay one at a metaphor level, right? It's like you, the process of figuring out who you want to be and what kind of person you want to be day to day is something that goes on your whole life and something you have to continue to figure out every day. Yeah. And that felt like a big thematic idea that I could really get excited about and it extended to this idea of bringing in uh, the, you know, Eddie and Milo story, Danny DeVito and Danny Glover characters that even these guys at a very different point in their life are still trying to navigate certain aspects of deciding what they want to be every day. Yeah. And then it started to feel like at a character level, there's really a lot to do here. And this is that's kind of my doorway, you know, much more so than like spectacular action sequence, which I also love, but it's just a harder place for me to start. I sort of need to start from what are the people doing? Okay. Mm, gotcha. You know, you, you, you look at the special effects in this film. I mean, you were two years out from the first Jumanji yeah. film. Did any of the, uh, the things that came back in this one, the, the superhero landing aspects, did any of that change for you effects-wise as a filmmaker? Did those did those effects get different? Did you, did you shoot those differently this time around? Because I remember talking to uh, Henry Cavill about going from Man of Steel to uh, Batman vs. Superman, and he said the, land, the superhero landing in his aspect changed because of <laughs> yeah. the filmmaking. So I'm curious, did anything change for you? Yeah. You know, the big thing that changed was I had on the, when we made the first movie, I had never done any of that. Every single thing, every visual effect uh, and really action element to it was something that I needed to have sort of, I, I was completely dependent on the people around me to show me how it was worked as we were doing it, you oh, know? Wow. Um, and they could, and I had amazing people and we figured it out together, but having done it once, I came to this one with a completely different sure, yeah. sort of, you know, way of approaching that and skill set and a, and a real sense that like I wanted to try to do better with that, you know, and as much as I, and I love the, what we, uh, there's stuff in the first movie that I love, sequences that I'm, you know, I, it's, it's not to disparage that, it's just that having done it once it makes you want to do it more and i it's a part of it that i really do love even though it's not the for my first impulse it's something that i've come to really dig you know did you keep that same team that you bring it's largely the same team the um uh my cinematographer who shot both movies is a, a guy named Jula Pados, really brilliant guy and it's been a fantastic collaboration he and i sort of figure out most of that 
part of the movie mm-hmm. together. And then we've had this amazing uh, visual effects team working with us on this second unit. Um, How do you well. achieve the actual drop? Um, and I, and I, I, I know there's heavy CG there, in the yeah. sense of, but like at what point, yeah, what point does it? What point does it become? Dwayne Johnson, like, and, and does he fall a bit and then land, like, or is it just solely him, like, after the uh, land? He, he, uh, he just—it's him on the ground. Okay. okay, it's pretty. But it looks so good. Yeah, we, we, well, how are you we've worked it out? <laughs> but I guess how are you achieving the? If it's done in one shot, how are you achieving it in one shot? Uh, it's. Movie magic. No, it's I know. What I want to know. No, it's um the movie magic. It's is a. Uh, we actually shoot the shot, and at the end of it, he jumps as though he's landed. Oh, cool. And then we um, do it again without him there. <laughs> and then, you know, they, uh, they call it clean plate. Yeah. And then we have a digital person. Okay. And then it transitions oh, into yeah, him. It's so seamless. End. I just wondered how to do it. And it's funny because it's like, it's un- in some ways, it's fairly straightforward uh, visual effect, but it is something that for some reason, even though we've now done it like 15 <laughs> times or something <laughs> between right. the two movies or 10 times, um, it takes some figuring out Every single time we would joke about it in our the like visual effects reviews, it's like the respawn somehow never gets really easy. <laughs> like it's always like sometimes it looks like they're kind of, but it's just it takes a minute to feel like they're bananaing through the air. They're kind of curving down at the camera. Like it just takes a minute to nail it. But this time we we actually started to refine the respawn. Science. I'm curious about this too. It it always feels like you want to get to a stage where they only have one life left. Yeah. As you get towards the end. Yeah. So do you come up with some really fun ways to be like, well, we got to get rid of some. We got to burn all some lives. <laughs> yeah. Like we, Jack, we my do. snake scene. That was <laughs> sick. Yeah, we have the life count management is something that we're thinking about all the time, and it's something that we like. That's because people ask me sometimes, like, do you have to remind the character, the actors, which characters they're playing, and that kind of thing? Like, I don't. They're awesome. They remember everything. There's not. They're totally like in it. The kind of thing you do sometimes have to remind them of is like how many lives they have, That's or that kind. You know, like that. Um, that thing, keeping track of everybody's lives and making sure that you're. Getting everyone into the position you want them to be at the time you want them to be. And then, you know, like, which of the deaths are going to be funny and which are scary. And, like, they they kind of work in different ways in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so it's something we talk about a lot. I wanted to ask you about the deaths specifically because... In the way you do them, they could potentially be very brutal, <laughs> but yeah. like, but they work somehow in a PG environment because yeah. the movie's PG, correct? PG thirteen. So you're dealing with this idea where like it, they could potentially be very brutal and violent death scenes. People disappear. They turn into like different liquids. And <laughs> yeah. is there an, an element of MPAA there where you have to be careful about what, you, how they disintegrate, like how yeah, much? What does an R-rated Jumanji look? Yeah, like? I don't know. Yeah, what's an R-rated death scene? An R-rated Jumanji would have a lot more cursing. That would 
be the big difference. And believe me, that we have in the can and not in the movie. At least the Kasdan cut, man. I want to see the Kasdan cut. Believe me. It would not be hard to have like an incredibly profane, really, really funny version of the movie. We have two guys with me in line immediately for that. That would be a really funny thing. But do you, do. is that something you're like, you have to think about when you're making a PG-13 movie and you do have death scenes like yeah. you do? Is it, is it like you have to scale it's it back? It's partly the rating, but it's also just like, you know, I, I feel like these movies have this kind of like sweet spot that I'm always trying to find, which is there's nothing in it that I wouldn't want my kids to see. Hmm. But also it's got to age up a little bit and be exciting for my kids to mm. see in order for it to be the kind of movie that I, I would have wanted to see when I was their age. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I Not think my movie. kids and also just kids, like I just, it's like, it's the fine line of like, they don't curse much, but they curse a little, you know what I mean? Like there's just a, like, it's a little dangerous. And if it isn't a little dangerous, then that it, it should be a little dangerous. And sure. I think that, Deaths are the same way, which is like, we don't want it to be like disturbing and it could easily be. And sometimes as we're working on them, we will pass through a period where it's disturbing. <laughs> that That's happened where you're like, oh God, <laughs> we can't have that in the movie. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we're, we're riding the line, which is that it's shocking when it's funny. How do we make it funny? Um, do you forego the one F-bomb you're allowed on purpose? Yeah, thirteen, we, you normally get the f bomb. You don't do it. Yeah. You just kind of stay away from it, like only yeah. because of that family aspect, maybe. E- yeah, and um, because of the family aspect, because how do you decide who gets to use it? Yeah, <laughs> and it can really left turn a movie. It can. You know? Yeah, it's it's. I just think it's like again, it's this sort of sweet spot that you just have to feel out as you go and hope that you're right, but. To me, that's been, like, probably not what they have. Like, that's, I'm okay with them. A couple of shits, but they they don't. It'd be great if Karen got it. Karen should get it. Karen should get get, it. Yeah, where would you put the F-bomb if you were to drop (laughs) it in this movie? I had her cursing a little in this at one point, um, which I thought was so funny. It, it, as in the in the cursing management, it ended up falling out. But it's uh, it imagine teams yeah. like there's a cursing team, like a cubicle, like there's the life count team in the cubicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just imagine. It's actually, it, I like that. That's like it's like a like a Pixar like factory of everybody's in a different like. Uh, bring in the guys from cursing. It's actually pretty much the same team on handling all of it, and um, but we just it's like moving through the. Uh, points on uh you know uh the agenda for the meeting it's like and uh back to cursing (laughs) uh this one might seem basic but how did you guys come up with who's gonna play who this time around through um what what did the cast have any say at all did it come down to who could actually do a good impersonation if kevin was terrible at doing danny would you have switched somehow Did, did that play any factor at all yeah it's a good question you know it was um i mean it sounds like blowing smoke but it's actually true they're so good that I'm never worried that anyone's going to be terrible at anything like I'm not going to have an idea that I think is a good idea that they're not going to be able to do that's not the risk they're they're just like on point they can do anything I really do believe that um 
but the design of that aspect of it was it's like I was saying I mean like that was to me it was like this is what we have to figure out and this is the existential issue of whether we do this because if that part isn't right we shouldn't do it you know what I mean it's like that's the that's that's what we need to know in order to know that it's worth making a sequel to that last movie and so I kind of so so that was the the building block and I I when I sort of had enough of a grasp on that, I went to DJ and Kevin and I said, this is what I think it is. And they were just like, as they are. And as you'll, are you talking to them? Today, yeah. Yeah, and you'll, you'll see. I mean, what's great with them is, it's just you will not find two guys who like live in a more completely committed way and you know you see what they're like but yeah. they're just like yes brother we're doing that you know and they um they just completely embraced it and and like loved the idea and that led us very quickly to like well who would the guys be that would make that work and it was you know Danny DeVito Danny Glover these are two like but who comes up with that killers. idea though was that for Glover and DeVito that was that was me, us, collective. I mean, it was, I, I think it was probably okay. my suggestion. Okay. And they were, um, you know, they, they were, they jumped at it. Yeah. They, they, they got what that could be. And, and then right away we started to kick that around. And this was before there was even a script. You know, this was like at the idea level. Okay. And then I went and started to track down Danny and Danny. Right. And sort of as I was writing, trying to activate that and lay That's the groundwork for it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. It's yeah. kind of. It's like. Um, it is sort of that. That aspect of it was, you know, in retrospect, sort of the most important thing. Yeah. You know, sure. to to just kind of line up all of those pieces and go, okay, so we can write it for somebody, but then we have to kind of know that they'll do it or that they're inclined to do it because to start changing those things around right. it affects the whole it, it starts to unwind things sure. um so, wow. what do you remember the first time you you saw and heard kevin and Dwayne do <laughs> devito and, yeah. and glover where, where were you they were what did they, together, what, what did they but do? i i remember i remember the first time i saw it together and i remember the first time i saw either either of them do it individually and um and what they, i want to know what they said where you like i want to hear the whole story yeah the devito and and DJ was at a, we did sort of a quasi workshop kind of table read a couple, about a month before we started. Mm-hmm. And um, they were both there. And I, you know, I, it was a great moment where Danny started reading and you hear his voice. And I look over and DJ's at the center of the table and, it's, you know, <laughs> looking like the rock. And he's, I see him just like looking down the table and watching him and I could just see this like he's he's trying this on he's imprinting this you know and then he started reading and he was he was immediately like you could see that like oh yeah he's locating pieces of this and like as we read through it it was like he he really kind of like found that thing you know and then with Kevin it it was um when I went and and pitched it to him he 
I just went to his office one day and told him the story. And Is that how that works? Specifically, you just go to his office and pitch it like that? Yeah, I called him up and was like... <laughs> I think we have something I should come we should actually tell you what it is because I don't want to go too far down the road if you're not you know like I just just getting everybody included yeah, I mean it, it was sort of like um, you know I think it was like it was more than like it's not a kind of pitch where you need them to, it, everyone was game yeah. I knew everybody wanted to do it it was more just like how do we sort of the plate spinning thing you're talking about sure, yeah. was just like, let's make sure these are good ideas. Let's check with each other and talk about it and try it on. And this is what I'm thinking. And this was, and then they would say stuff and have thoughts and they're brilliant. So it's like, you know, that you, you just go talk to Kevin Hart about what he's going to be doing in a movie. It's like, this is one of the funniest people on earth. Jack is the same way. It's like, th- these are like singular performers that I just love personally love working with and um, so it's awesome you know it's like I they put a smile on my face when I see them and it, it like lay it out for them and see them take it in and soak it in and like and and it was exciting with this because I think all of us shared sort of an enthusiasm for what if we could do this again and a healthy skepticism about, but let's not do something dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's make sure we dig it. And um, and to so in a way, like as I would go around and sit with them and say, like, here's the story, and did the same thing with Karen. You know, there was like to see them like take it in and laugh and try it on and think about it and see what was going to be fun that they were going to be doing. It was a part of like you know kind of working out what the movie would be and it was also like how i started to find like these are the moments this is what's yeah it, it was instructive in building it you I know it was more exciting to me than filming the actual movie yeah it was fun the, the, that part was really fun it was really fun and I, and i had a great time also hugely important in this was i was working with um scott rosenberg and jeff pankner who wrote it with me and we would just sit in a room and break it for hours at a time and that that was also kind of great they had worked on the first one as well and um we had worked on it together so you know there was this sort of fun thing of like trying to challenge ourselves to crack stuff trying to be tough on it somebody's always sort of bad copying it a little bit and trying to you know be be tough on it right and then there was this kind of great thing where I would take it, like I say, to go to the actors and pitch it out, lay it out, and you can see what's sticking and what the how it can be better. Right. Anyway, that's how I remember laying it out with Kevin, and he immediately started doing that voice. And I was like, Kevin talking slow in that voice is going to be one of the funniest things <laughs> yeah, ever. He never stopped. Yes. Being funny. It was so good. He never the stopped. The facial expressions. So yeah. funny. Him and, and being the zoologist and yeah. just like rattling off facts and then realizing how much he knew it was so funny. All right, last one. I'm going to end on this because I know we have to wrap, but um, because we are a film podcast and you're a great filmmaker, and I know you've had you've been working on this movie for four these movies for four and a half years. Yeah. What have been your favorite movies this year so far? Have you seen? I haven't any? seen any movies. Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen a single film in 2019? I think I've seen. Oh my gosh, I have barely seen a movie this year. I uh, what's the first one you? I went and saw um, Aquafina's movie Farewell, Farewell that I thought was awesome. Very different thing. Yeah. I thought she was so great, and I think I've 
I've seen. Uh, I think DJ had five movies this year. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw that. I loved that. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that? I saw. Well, he's Sony guy. Avengers. I think. That's maybe those might be the only movies I've seen. I saw Spider Man. I loved that. Like when an Endgame comes out, do you go? I have to go see that in a theater. I don't care what I'm doing. Like, do you have those types of urges when you're making another movie yourself? Like to just jump out of your work and pop into a movie? And if you yeah, I desperately want to go to the movies all the time, and I barely ever get to lately. That's one of the things. When this is over, I'm like very excited to see some movies. His question was, "What's the first thing you want to watch after you're done with all the press tour?" Oh, that's a good question. Um, truthfully, I'm so far behind that it's the. I mean that you know that feeling that you have sometimes. Or I mean, you guys for your, you guys probably don't quite know this feeling because you probably watch a lot because you got to watch a lot. It's our, yeah, it's our job. Yeah, you gotta watch way too much. Yeah, but like for me, what happens is this: like there's like this because this has been pretty hardcore this yeah. year, and I like we've kind of been seven days a week for most of the year. And, um, you get to a thing where it's like, huh, there's so much I want to see that I actually can't push the select button. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's too, it's overwhelming. So there's going to be a little bit of therapeutic unwinding of watching stuff. I have some long flights (laughs) and maybe that'll be a way to like knock out some stuff. But, uh, Mandalorian, do Mandalorian. Like, like Mandalorian is a perfect example of like, I am dying to see that. When did you lock this? Uh, well, we locked it. It's sort of complicated because the effects prevent it from being... We, we were basically done with it about a month and a half ago, Jeez. two months ago, in terms of the story. But then you're still... I, would, you know, I was working on the technical parts of it until... Yeah. That's wild. It was the movie was still a month and a half ago. Yeah, I'm sure you could work yeah. on it to the last minute. Yeah, we're working on it to the last minute because you can't, you're kind of never done. And, you know, the thing about the visual effects stuff is that even... Once it's feeling pretty good, you want to keep going forever. And if there's 2,000 shots, then, you know, the 20 hardest ones, you're not going to give up on them until they pull it from your, you know. It's like you, you, you go down swinging a little bit. Sure. Um, sure. So we were we were continuing to work on the movie technically till the Bitter ass. Oh, well, the rope bridge sequence is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> was some of the most impressive green work I've ever seen. Like, that looked incredible. We, we did the bridge yesterday. I'm like, this looks exactly like the movie. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear yeah. you say that. Uh, and yeah. Weta did some of that work, right? Weta did the bridges and the monkeys. Yeah, I mean, Weta did that sequence. That must have been wild for you to shoot that, considering you have so many it different aspects of them jumping down the section. I don't know how the hell you I mean, pulled that off. some of it has to be somewhat practical. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're really, I mean... Uh, some of it's practical. They're on, you know, when they get on the bridges and get off the bridges and, and the actors on the bridges, it's all stuff we shot. And then the environment is and the monkeys, obviously. So it's, yeah. it's a whole deal. And it was, uh, yeah. And I had a lot of great help, including Jula, um, working on it with me for a long time. And, and then, uh, Wade Easter is a second unit, uh, director, super talented guy helping to figure out, how some of it would work and and then we hopped into it with um my visual effects supervisor a guy named Mark Breakspear and him working with Weta 
those guys are unbelievable. Really something. Like you do you do see that like especially this thing with monkeys, they're the they're the monkey people and the yeah. like kind of the world's monkey sure. people. Yeah. And um yeah. and you, you, you kinda of go to one place and, and it is like, <laughs> yeah. hey, he's gotta do what he's gotta do what he's gotta yeah, do. He and they all have slightly different characters. <laughs> but uh, I saw Caesar in there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> he played four thousand monkeys. But the um they, they uh they're they're amazing, and it is one of those things where like you put you you start up with them and doing that thing, and they start sending you the early animation stuff, and you go like, oh wow, this is next level. Yeah, like yeah. this is actually like. Because you said that legit last question, was there ever a I'm too old for this shit that came out of Kevin? Yeah, absolutely, happened in a few places. It did not. It didn't make it in. You know, it was hard to get it in there, but that is something that to the very end it was on the edge. Where what? Can you can I ask where this where it was? Everywhere. The one that we. The one that was almost in there was. It was in a fighting with DJ in one of those scenes, like arguing with DJ when DJ's being obnoxious. He's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Oh, <laughs> all right, I, I release that. Footage. I'll send that to you. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was you a guys, pleasure. Really yeah, we know you have a really busy day, but this was a lot this of fun. It's really fun. Believe Good. me, it's like a nice way to. Nice way to talk. And Sorry for my I am your father joke. I love it. Yeah, I, I was, I, I I was like, if it. I grew up in that house, I'd have been like, Dad, just, just, just say it. I've never heard that before go, either. Go. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. You never heard that before, you kid? Why am I the first person that said it to you? First and foremost, we have to thank Sony Pictures for uh, first inviting us to the Jumanji Junket, but then going out of their way to make sure that we uh, did uh, interviews with Jay Kasdan specifically for Real Blend. And then we also were able to sit down with two of the main producers, Matt Talmack and Hiram Garcia. Those two not only are involved with the Jumanji franchise, but they have their fingers in a number of really interesting superhero properties that we were able to get them to open up about. But then also, Kevin, I think I was pretty fascinated how they went into just larger topics in terms of theatrical distribution, uh, 3D, yes. and how that's being used globally. I, th- I loved their conversation. So we will have that on the show uh, coming up in the next few weeks. So talking points for this week. We mentioned we were going to bring up the the Black Widow trailer, which for reasons completely unknown to me, decided it was going to drop at 3 o'clock in the morning last night. Woke yeah. up this morning, did what I normally do, pick up my phone, check my emails, uh, have an email from Marvel Studios. Hey, there's a Black Widow trailer. Uh, it's up. So dove right into that. We know that this is a prequel. Uh, we know that it's going to include um, Rachel Weiss and David Harbour and a girl who you guys just saw last night on the big screen, Florence Pugh. Uh, Jake, you've been lukewarm uh, on the record about Marvel Phase 4. Did this uh, new trailer do anything to get you more excited for Black Widow? Not a thing. Like, it, it looks fine. Like, it looks like a Marvel movie, but it looks yeah. like, I mean, for the movie that's supposed to kick off not just Phase 4, but the next wave of epic storytelling, it's, sure. I feel like it's a fairly weak step to sort of say, our first big move coming out of the box, coming out of, I mean, technically in game, but obviously out of out of uh, Spider-Man is a prequel to a character that's dead. Now, to be fair, they wanted that to be Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, things happen. Maybe you should have fired them. Things do happen. I don't know. I can't necessarily confirm that, but I'm fairly certain that if James Gunn had kept his production schedule, that that next movie would have been Guardians 3. I mean, so. I watched the trailer and I went like, that's fine. Like, that's. Like, I'll see it. 
But yeah. did I watch that trailer and go like, oh my god? No, I didn't. No. Are you Peter fairly certain, Sean? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, has the ship is the ship sailing slightly on uh you know, like all these things come in waves. And it is the general audience uh, starting to not not quite sour on the MCU, but but is it gonna become Almost what Star Wars met instantly, which is, well, there's too much of this uh, and too soon and not it's not special enough anymore. I'm really curious if that will be if that will be the case, because not only are we getting Black Widow uh, next year, but we're getting the Eternals and then multiple uh, MCU shows on Disney Plus. The Loki uh, show is going to start. And I think the What If animated series is starting next year, too. So the thing that I think kept people tied in uh, over the past few years is knowing that we were heading toward an endgame in game, you know, that yeah. we were heading toward this big epic thing. So it's almost like asking people to run a marathon and then as soon as they hit the finish line and they're exhausted and they've given so many years of their life going, okay, you ready to do it again? Yeah. And it just sort of, it feels like, like, like give me, they, I really wish they should have, they would have taken maybe a five year break before getting right oh, back into it. That would make me really sad. I, I, I love the trailer. Did I thought you, the trailer Kevin, was yeah, incredible. Yeah, I was, first of all, I had zero expectations because I, I was worried about the idea of how I would emotionally have stakes in a, in a, what the emotional stakes would be with a movie where the character obviously lives and then dies later on in Avengers Endgame. And I was worried about how I was going to, you know, emotionally attach to it and actually immerse myself to a point where I, wa- I want to suspend my disbelief and believe in the story. But then the whole time, am I going to be thinking, oh, it, she dies in Endgame later on? The trailer blew all that out of the water for me. I thought it was so well designed from a from a music standpoint. It just felt different than any Marvel trailer I'd seen before. Um, I thought it felt, I saw someone use the word grounded. I, I love that word. It, it felt, um, you know what it reminded me of actually? Winter Soldier. Oh, did um, it? Nice. Tonally. Um, and I think uh, Winter Soldier was a game changer for me in regards to the way I watched an MCU film because it, 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 it grounded the world of Captain America. That scene on the bridge was in was a was a hand to hand, essentially combat sequence that felt like it could really happen in the real world. Um, obviously, Captain America's uh, special effects and what he's doing clearly that's not real. But there, but it is. It was grounded to me. So Black Widow's trailer to me felt very much like that. I, I, I also love Florence Pugh so much. I think she's an amazing actor. I think she was obviously great in Little Women. She's amazing in. I love fighting with my family. I thought she was great in that. Uh, I, I, I think she's fantastic, and I'm looking forward to seeing the trailer for her sequences. Looked amazing. Uh, I was very surprised at how how much I like this trailer. The, now, trailers can be deceiving, obviously, but I thought sure. it was good. Sean, what did you think? Uh, there's footage of the villain. Ta- I, I'm with you with most of the things that you said. Like, I, and and you know, I'm in the tank for anything Marvel. It looked obviously. awesome. I thought it looked fun, man. When she was diving out of the sky and those guys were like pulling up the weapons as they were following her, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. Man. I think like, David Harbour some... is going to be great as Red Guardian. Yeah, Harbour looks awesome. Great. Um, that villain Taskmaster, you see him using a bow and arrow. There was footage that they showed at San Diego Comic-Con of a fight between Black Widow and Taskmaster. The 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 power of Taskmaster is that he's able to um, witness your fighting style and mirror it so fully that you're not able to get the upper hand on him because oh, it's like you're fighting a mirror image of yourself. And there's a fight between him and Black Widow on a bridge that they showed in footage that was so great. 
Uh, it was literally like she looked like she was fighting herself, uh, but but him in the suit. So I think there are surprises to come with Black Widow. And, uh, and and yeah, you're right. I mean, dude, it has the most prominent release schedule still. You know, that first week of, of summer is always no matter how many blockbusters are coming out over the course of the year. That first week of summer is always the biggest. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to have a huge uh, bullseye target on its back. And, but don't and forget, Marvel like three weeks deliver. before this. And this is this still blows my mind. We're getting a James Bond movie at the beginning of April. Oh wow! That's, Isn't yeah, that that's, just weird? Because I, I, I associate James Bond with like a November release. Yeah. Yep. Beginning yeah. of April, we're getting a James uh, Bond movie. Well, wasn't Star strange. Wars originally summer, and then they went to Christmas for the new episode? Yeah. So it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting how they think about that. Yeah, it is. All right, so we started our podcast as an award show. Uh, I mentioned that every once in a while to remind people about our roots and where we came from. And last night, one of the first big official award shows kicked off and you're going to start hearing over the next couple of days to uh, nominations from groups like New York Film Critics Circle, uh, LA Film Critics Circle. Our own group, the Critics' Choice, is going to have their nominations coming out, I believe, next week sometime uh, as our ballots are arriving. But last night was the Gotham Awards. Uh, more indie uh, than mainstream, but but a pretty good indicator of, of, of a movie that's going to have some strength if, if a film is able to dominate. And last night... The big winner was Noah Baumbach's film Marriage Story. It swept most of the major categories that it was up against. I'll mention that it took Best Feature, and here are the movies that it beat. Uh, It beat The Farewell, Hustlers, Uncut Gems, and Waves, and then additional wins that it picked up over the course of the evening. uh, Screenplay, again, beating most of those same uh, candidates. Adam Driver took Best Actor. Best Actress went to Aquafina and uh, Scarlett Johansson from Marriage Story was not even nominated in the Best Actress category for the Gothams last night. Uh, and let me see if there are other... I think those are the biggest ones that it took. Uh, Audience Award. Audience Award 2, Marriage Story took. So, uh, you guys tell me. I, I can't say that any one, you know, win at, a, at an award show changes the momentum in, in one way or the other. But it's better to be in the conversation as as a movie that's winning awards uh, than ones that are overlooked. So how do you guys think this helps Marriage Stories and starts to uh, put its momentum together? Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt it at all. I mean, also, I think it hits Netflix this Friday, right? So uh, with some of the other big critics uh, groups like National Board of Review and New York uh, Critics Circle, those are going to be coming out over the next 24 hours. Those seem like the kind of organizations I think that could uh, nominate or potentially give Best Picture to Marriage Story. Um, I think if Marriage Story takes any one of the big critic circles coming out over the next 24 hours, I think it officially lands as the movie to beat moving forward, which we haven't had a movie to beat moving forward. Um, God, which is Not this year. Not this, this year, year no. so many movies. Um but, uh, you know, I, I, I was really interested to see what was going to sort of, you know, be the, as, as we called it in, in cross country in high school, like the rabbit, like the first one out of the first one out of the pack. Right. And, uh, you know, though it's not, you know, just like in sports, it's never good to be the rabbit because you could peter out far too quickly. Sure. Um, but it looks like uh, the first one out of the gate is going to be Marriage Story, which I'm OK with because I love that movie. Oh, God, I love that movie so much. I, first of all, I love that Jake did cross country in high school. I did as well. I did track <laughs> in cross country as well. Jake, are we the same person? I know I got I got kicked <laughs> off the team, so it's a I'm, it's a whole that's a whole. I'm a little. I'm a, are we brothers that are, don't know we're brothers? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I th- um, I've known. I don't know about you, asshole. But I've <laughs> Wait, mom told you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, in, in all honesty, though, I think uh, it's interesting, and this, this might be a bold statement to make. 
I would argue that Marriage Story has a better chance of winning Best Picture than The Irishman. Wow. Um, and I and I think that it's interesting going into the going into the year. I think right after we all saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then we all saw Irishman. I think it was going to come down to a battle of those two films, right? Like it was going to be Irishman versus Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Scorsese versus Quentin Tarantino, the ultimate showdown. Um, but that being said, Irishman has been I, – I, I haven't noticed Irishman's buzz continuing after its Netflix release. I feel right. like it's actually been dipping slightly, and I'm hearing more conversations about marriage story. I'm hearing more conversations about Joker. Now, again – Recency effect. These are things that obviously come into play. What was released, when, when it was released. But Marriage Story, it's an interesting film because I think I think it's a I think it's a great movie. I think it's very well executed. I don't think it's best picture. My fear, and I just recently watched Jojo Rabbit, is if Jojo Rabbit wins the Oscar, I am going to be so disappointed. And the reason why I bring that up is because Green Book last year kind of snuck its way into best picture after winning the Audience Award at. Tiff. And I recently watched Jojo Rabbit. On a personal note, I thought the drama worked really well, but the comedy did not land at all for me. I'm just a little concerned that it's going to sneak up like Green Book. But if you're asking the question of what's the current frontrunner for Best Picture, I'm still going to go with Hollywood. But also keep in mind, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, there is such a big difference between the Academy voting body right. and critics groups. And especially uh, this world of film Twitter in which we we all exist, mm-hmm. or at least for me, I kind of like watch it from the outside looking in. You know, we, we're always talking it's about, different. oh, it's this movie. I mean, we would all have sworn last year that it was that Roma was the movie to beat. And leading up to the finish line, it was until we were all given that big slap of a reminder that film Twitter and the critics groups, is that's different than the Academy. I mean, the Academy... Might not be that they might lean more toward an Irishman or uh, or a Once Upon a Time in well, Hollywood. Well, the movie uh, that seems like it's going to be an Academy movie, and Kevin, I know you weren't crazy about it, but 1917 feels like it's going to be a movie that the Academy loves to honor. One, one thing I will say before we move on, I want to get, uh, I, and I always do this, and Jake gets mad at me, but I I, I like to timestamp this <laughs> as we sit here right now. Yes, what wins Best Picture tomorrow if the Oscars happened? Just curious. Like I, I want to timestamp this. I'm going to go I'm gonna say I'm gonna go Hollywood. Hollywood. Because yeah. I also think that people, it's going to, I think it's going to, I don't think people realize that Tarantino's never won a director or a best picture. I, I think know. that's going to hit people. Even though he has two Oscars, I think there is still that feeling of he's due uh, in the sense of the big award. And it is, I mean, talk about, we use this expression a lot, but talk about a love letter to this business and a love letter to yeah. Hollywood. I mean, Can I is, say, can I say something real fast and I'll keep this brief? I, I watched Once Upon a Time on Hollywood for the fifth time the other day. And I'm getting chills, like my hair on my arm is standing up just thinking about this. Um, my family and I listened to the vinyl on Thanksgiving Day while we ate Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and then I rewatched the film. And th- I- I'm just so blown away by the difference in opinion I have about it now. I-, I loved it originally, but I didn't love it like a Tarantino movie originally. And then th- now where I'm at, I just can't think of anything that is anywhere near that movie. And, I, and, I, and I've just like broken down scene by scene the way he uses the soundtrack to complement those scenes. And I just wanted to say, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to our show and you watch a movie once and you feel indifferent about it or you don't love it, there's something so rewarding about revisiting things if you have the time. And I'm just grateful that I had the time to do that. And that movie jumped from like my number five slot to my number three slot to my number one slot in a matter of five viewings. Pretty crazy. I'm pretty. I'm pretty curious to find out what you guys thought about. It. I know you can't re- react in full, 
uh, and we're going to um, probably talk about it as we get closer to release. But give me quick reactions to Little Women. Wait, Sean, what went, what went the best picture on your on your? Man, I don't pick? know because I mean I know you love Hollywood and in a way that we all love Roma and those movies just don't win. Whoa, whoa, like, whoa! Calm down. They, on that. they we get all love green Roma booked. Thing. Yeah, all right. Maybe you didn't like it. They get green booked. And what so wins to tomorrow? Of, I'm trying to think of what the green book version of what the Academy goes for is going to be. Is it Irishman? Uh, no, that's not Green Book. Jesus Christ, no. No, um, I mean, I mean, like, like the, the type of movie I, that voters I, would vote for. I think, I, I think, right now, today, but it's going to change a million times. Is nineteen seventeen? I think nineteen seventeen right. becomes the movie that the Academy gets behind. I wanted to timestamp this. That's all yeah, I wanted that's to fine. do. That's it's fine. November, but I'm willing it's to be December third. Yeah, I'm willing so. to be wrong. Um, Little Women. What do you guys think about Little Women? Greta Gerwig's uh, new adaptation with that stellar cast. Um, I, for me, I very pleasantly surprised. I have not read the book, nor have I seen any of the other. Um, uh, versions of this. I mean, I, I'm right. aware of them. Like, I know, like, the Winona Ryder one, and I think Christian mm-hmm. Bale is in the, the early yeah, 90s one. Yeah, he is. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, I, I, I may have seen, like, bits and pieces, uh, but I'm aware of its existence. But I, honestly, uh, uh, a majority of my knowledge of what happens in Little Women comes from the, the Friends episode where Joey reads a copy of Little Women while R- Rachel reads uh, The Shining. <laughs> that's um, so funny. So that's that's where, but I was very pleasant. <laughs> I mean, it's so beautifully made. Greta Gerwig does a, a wonderful job with directing it. Um, I love the editing. It's told um, like in a non-linear format, which it really kind of kept me on my toes and kept me following it. The performances are incredible. At one point, and this is always great whenever it happens, Kevin and I looked at each other during the screening and went, this is really good. I mean, I, uh, I, I would even go as far, and, and Kevin, I don't want to speak for you, I'd go as far as saying that I genuinely loved it. Yeah, uh, I loved it too. I thought it was a wonderful film. And this was my first experience with the story completely. Um, I, I, I'm aware that Little Women exists, but I did not know the arc I did not know how it ended. I did not know who ends up with who, whatever, wherever that happened. I never read the book. I never saw the Winona Ryder version. Um, so this was my first experience, and I kept it that way. Lauren actually tried to get me to watch the 90s version leading up to me watching this new one. And I just, I actually said to her, I was like, I kind of want to sit down and watch it from the perspective of someone who doesn't know the story and see how it lands. And the nonlinear aspect of it is incredible. And shout out to Greta Gerwig, who shot 35 millimeter. It looks so good on the big screen like there are so many moments with that grain like and everyone people message me sometimes and say like what is it about 35 and it, it's fo- it's so funny because there's no words to describe the the magic of what it looks like there's just something about the swimming of the grain on the screen that makes like even fire there's a shot in the film where they're in a they're in a house and there's a fire on um, in the fireplace, and even the fire looked amazing. I did feel 35. like I understood Kevin's argument for film while watching the movie last night. There was a moment where I sort of went like, yeah. I feel like I at least, or maybe I'm looking for so, it, or maybe I felt like I got it. This well, answers my question. My, uh, my yeah. question was, I have a screener copy of it right now, and I have a screening of it on Thursday. Theater. I go go, the yeah, theater. go to the theater, dude. Go to yeah, the theater. It, it's a really, it's epically told. The shots are incredible. It's gorgeously scored by Alexander Desplat. Um, and I think that the performance is Saoirse Ronan is she carries the whole film. She's incredible. So okay, is Florence Pugh. Yeah. Okay. Who's who's getting in for Oscars for this? Ooh, movie? I think I think Florence gets in for supporting. Okay. Is there enough heard- room in the actress category for Saoirse Ronan? Maybe. Maybe. I think, yeah, Charlie, maybe. I think Charlize Theron's going to win. Bombshell. <sighs> no, I still think I still think it goes to Renee. Um, but uh, no, oh. I, th- I think. Uh, I think Florence is the takeaway from the movie. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, I feel like for Sersha, she's going to be on a lot of people's ballots, but in that very dangerous fourth and fifth spot. Right. Um, and I feel like to really kind of lock in that nomination, you got to be 
a good number of people's first or second spot. And I yeah. feel like she could universally be everyone's like end of the line. But I feel like Florence Pugh is really going to uh, okay. uh, really get in there. I wanted to say something I found interesting. Um, and I so I know Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are partners in, 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 in real life. And I believe that I think it's interesting that in this 2019, they both made films that deal very heavily with aspects of marriage. Um, and I really want to talk to Greta Gerwig about the idea of, you know, in Little Women, and this is something that I didn't know much about story-wise, was the idea that Joe's character was against the idea of marriage, right? Jake, I mean, that, that was kind of like what the idea of that character was. So I found that interesting as a book end in my mind, knowing Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are together in real life, and Noah Baumbach makes this horror story about you know, a love story told through divorce, and then on the other end of it, Little Women takes place you know, many, many years prior and talks about the idea of what marriage is and you know, why you get married and what are the reasons for it. Um, and I just found that to be such an interesting thing because they're completely different films, completely different genres, tackled by two very talented filmmakers who took two different, two different approaches but tackle a very similar subject matter of Probably marriage. Probably some really interesting conversations at home between the two of them, I would imagine. Yeah, that, 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 that's literally my question yeah. to Greta Gerwig is, did you guys sit down and it all compare the idea of what this marriage is in this movie compared to what characters in Little Women were saying about how marriage can be good or bad. Right. I just found that to be such an interesting random parallel in the same Lucky year. Lucky you get a chance to sit down with uh, with probably all of them at some point before all is <laughs> said and done to get these questions answered. All right, shifting over to This Week in Movies. Uh, pick the title that you think Gabe made up and slipped into this uh, this pile of movies. Uh, there is a movie coming out from Amazon Films that I know is real. It's called The Aeronauts. Uh, yep, Eddie Redmayne yep. and uh, um, Rogue One Girl. I keep forgetting her name. Felicity I'm so Jones? Felicity Huff- Huffman? Huff- Felicity, <laughs> no, Jones. Felicity Jones. Jones. Yes, it's Felicity <laughs> Jones. This is a real movie. Uh, has anyone seen it? You guys seen it? I got the screener. It, it's been one of those movies that, like... It's been around. They've they've sent yeah. me the screener. I've got a yep. link. There have been a lot of screenings in Chicago. It was a tiff. But like, it was a tiff. Just yeah, just in in a time in which there are so many movies in which we have to see. It never yes. felt like a movie that I mean I'd I'd like to see it at some point because the visuals look incredible. Uh, there's a Naomi Watts movie called The Wolf Hour. The Wolf Hour. Anyone? I I'm, I'm positive Gabe made that up. Anyway, no, we haven't seen that. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. No, but I'd like to see it because I've heard amazing yeah, things. I would like to see it too. This is a, this is a great segment to <laughs> this remind This is a great us film podcast. Movies we want to see. Uh, and finally, Gabe is trying to convince us that there's something called Playmobil the movie. Playmobil the movie? Is he actually, are we actually at the point where he's now making up titles? I, I can never I tell if God. this is a real joke that we're starting. Well, I know that The Wolf Hour is truly not a film. I mean, Naomi Watts is not in a movie called The Wolf Hour. Well, she's definitely not in a Game of Thrones prequel series, I can not tell you that. More she isn't, no. All right, anyway, on to the blend game. <laughs> this is why we can't get sponsors of This Week in Movies, as much as we're trying to. <laughs> we see other things, I promise you. All right, we played rom-com blend. Uh, we're going off of genres as we've been playing uh, the, the blend game recently, and we are into rom-com blend. Well, you two get to say your pick at the exact same time, so I will count down three, two, one... 500 Days of Summer. summer. Hey, that's a great choice. Did you know that that was coming? Um, I see in the notes, the show notes, that it says Jake and Kevin's pick. I know, but did you know that that was going to be our pick? 
No, I had no idea. In fact, I, I thought you would both would say joke titles like Oh, no. Misery or some no. such nonsense. Uh, no, honestly, I have loved that movie since the first time I saw it. I did that junket back in 2008 and fell in love with it since. But it's the first time that I really felt like I was watching a rom-com and truly understood um, what one of the characters was going through and felt like I related to it um, as a guy who was, you know, kind of raised uh, to to learn about what love was f- from watching pop culture and from watching these rom-coms, you know, there, there is a dangerous side to that. And it is, it is that your perception of what love needs to be, you know, there needs to be a meet cute and there needs to be, you know, X, Y, Z things that need to happen because that's what love, that's what these movies teach you. And uh, I felt like this movie was written for a generation of people who were raised to believe that that love is what happens on the big screen. And it's not always like that. Oftentimes it's far uglier than uh, than things that can happen in, in 120 minutes. And it's also this perception that, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, with all the Matthew McConaughey movies out there, you know, he, he's always sort of the, you know, it's always kind of the sloppy guy that doesn't want to be in a relationship and the, and the woman's chasing him down. It's like sometimes it's the guy that really wants to be in the relationship and the girl says like, no, like I want to be independent and I want to be my own person. And I want to have my life. And, and I felt like, uh, it was just a different perspective of a story we'd seen, seen 10,000 times and, uh, the execution of it, the, the expectations versus reality sequence is incredible. Um, the, 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 the dance sequence, I mean, it was just a beautiful script the and it really, yeah, it was it, such a home run. Yeah. And the nonlinear storytelling of like the flipping through the days, I just thought was brilliant. And it really, um, it spoke to me unlike any other rom-coms ever spoken to me. Well, it, it, that's the beauty of it, right? It's the anti-rom-com. It's the it's the real rom-com. So it's it, it's the reality versus expectation scene. In my opinion, will go down as in my top ten scenes of all time. Like that scene was so perfectly executed and edited in such a way where you could follow both moments. And I, that that's what always blew my mind about it was I never found myself struggling to watch one side or the other. I always felt felt that I was in sync with both sides of it. And I think there's a lot to be said about the way a director and an editor do that sequence. Um, but yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel are absolutely amazing. I remember interviewing Zoe Deschanel for The New Girl, and all we talked about was 500 Days of Summer because that's all I wanted to talk to her about was that scene and how they shot that. And, you know, it is one of those movies, like, like Jake was talking about at the end of the day, like she tells him up front that she doesn't want a relationship. And he continues to fall through with it. And that's why you can't feel bad for the character. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think Jake has said this before, has, hasn't he gone on record and somehow and, and basically yeah, I mean, said I, that? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to them both about it because I always thought that that uh, Summer was the one to blame. And they go, no, like Todd is the one, the one to blame. Yeah, that, that, that's what's interesting about it is at the end of the day, she is extremely – uh, right in his face saying, I do not want to date you. I yeah, do not but on the flip side of that, I always loved his point, which was at the end of the movie, he starts going, yes, you said that, but we did X, Y, Z. We did all these things that are like that relationship people do. So you can't say we're not in a relationship because even though you said we weren't, we did relationship things. And so that's where you sort of, to me, there's that fun gray area yeah. of like, yeah, sure, she did say that, but then she did girlfriend like things. So who is really to yeah. blame? How great is the Ikea sequence? Oh, I mean, there's I just that, so yeah. many amazing scenes in that film. And I think I think I, I agree with Jake to the to the point of it's just it, it was it was a realistic approach to a romantic story that did not sugarcoat it. And it was told by Mark Webb beautifully. Um, and I think Mark Webb did a brilliant job with it. And it's just, you know, he comes from a video, a music video background. So those those split screens, I think he did the did he do the 21 
Guns video for um, Green Day. Was that the name I of the song? So. Yeah, um, I think so. But he, like, he's truly a, a, a talented filmmaker who I, I, I want to see do more. Obviously, he did The Amazing Spider-Man. But I, I, I'm just very, very curious if that movie will continue to live on the way it does. It's so great. Do you great. know why he got hired for the Spider-Man movies? Because his last name is Webb. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give you guys my pick, and you can probably tell me that it's not a romantic comedy. Um, But it's not, it's the complete opposite of what you guys said about being a realistic and grounded approach to it. Um, I chose Groundhog Day. I could see that being a romantic comedy. You know what's so funny is that someone else (laughs) um, tweeted the Real Blend account that answer, and I remember thinking it was the first time I'd ever seen it Categorized as a rom-com And I thought right. like Oh that's interesting But I didn't instantly go No that's not a rom-com It sort of just made me go Oh that's interesting Like okay I see I mean to it's be fair He's using not, time To yeah. win over a woman well, Sean can you repeat the title again? Gra- Groundhog Day one, one more time for me Groundhog Day? Oh thank you Okay cool I, Gotcha I, I mean it's not a sure. traditional Julia Roberts uh, You know Hugh Grant Tom Hanks type thing um, Where Guy meets a girl Has to kind of win her back like bill murray's a sleaze like he cheats essentially oh you've uh, got mail to win over uh andy mcdowell and i just think that it's uh but it's it it gets into so many other philosophical discussions about what would you do if you had this power um is he dead and cursed like all the really deep things it gets into and i think it's uh, to me it's truly bill murray's funniest uh, role. Also. I always forget how dark it gets. Like I always forget there's a sequence where he essentially is trying to kill himself. Yes, to stop this. numerous times. But and and the way that it cinematically trains you about the the repeat of the day, the waking up to the alarm clock yeah. and the radio show uh, calling you in, and just like him having to relive the day that he dreads the most. And and when you think about like, oh, what would be the worst possible? You guys as newscasters understand this, like the assignment that you just don't want to be <laughs> at. Imagine having to do that time and time and time again. And then for me, it's this podcast. It realizing. <laughs> If I had to do it over and over. So, so like, you know, he wakes up to the Sonny and Cher song. Me, yeah. it would be me waking up to, like, one of Kevin's jokes. That would be me, like, every day I'd have to wake up to, like, Kevin's pun. Now you hear, hello, Blenders. Hello, Blenders. <laughs> every single morning. It All is right, smart how they edited that. I agree with you. Oh, my gosh, it's great. Is that, it's great. Is that Ramus? Um, Ivan Reitman. Oh, it's, oh, Reitman, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Is it, or is it Harold Ramus? I don't know. I think it's Harold Ramus. God, I'm blanking. Proceed. Uh, Proceed. You look look and I'll do audience picks. Arthur Mingo, Shelby Jones, Jason Weiss, and several others went with a very, very smart choice, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. That movie is far better than it deserves to be. Yeah. Uh, It just stuns me how good that movie is. Uh, Cesar Romero said Groundhog Day. And I swear I didn't make my pick before I saw that. Um, Wait, no, wait. I swear I did make my pick. Before I saw you, it's Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis? Okay, cool. And I know that he and Murray had a big falling out like during that movie. And uh, I know it's a touchy subject between the two of them. So David Humphrey went with You've Got Mail, and Sarah Marlene went with Singles, uh, Cameron Crowe's film, Singles. Another really good one, too. That's interesting. That that strikes me more as like one of those music based films that we were we were talking about but it's definitely got some romantic comedy there, vibes to you'll, it you'll you'll appreciate this so the the town sequence the like the the sort of the, the, the town square where they shot yeah. groundhog day is about an hour north of chicago 
So okay. every Groundhog Day for a couple of years, I was the reporter that would like get sent out there <laughs> to cover it. And it felt to your point, it felt like I mean, people get or get so into it. And when it's like six o'clock in the morning and you have like like everyone and there it's wonderful people, wonderful people in this town and they so like buy into it. But by the time like the 20th person comes up to you on camera and it's like, Ned, Ned Ryerson, <laughs> you just I understand Bill Murray's like frustration of like just wanting yeah. to punch someone because I was like, I get it. I get the joke. They shot it here. That's OK, let's funny. move on. Is there a on. video of that? I want to see that. I oh, I'm sure it's somewhere. Too. I could get it. <laughs> Sounds kind of Harold Lamus. Jesus, Kevin. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for participating in Rom Compline this week. (laughs) Going to social media at RealBlend and sending us uh, your choices via email, RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com. Holy mother of God, boys, strap in for next week's uh, hashtag 2000s blend. We are back to the decades. Uh, if you want to know, we've been playing this so far. We've done the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. We are up to 2000s We're in the blend. Aughts. I think the 90s was probably one of the hardest for us. Um, I'm going with 2001. You can't do that. I, I'm not, joking. That's not, not how it works. <laughs> it's a 2000s movie. That breaks speaking. all the rules, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so go to social media and play along using hashtag 2000blend. 2000s with an S. Gabe, I'm throwing the little S in there. Uh, oh, These freaking hashtags. About that, I guess. It's two, hashtag 2000sblend. Or email us realblend at cinemablend.com. Um, again, uh, we are saving our reviews for the portion of the show that's later in the show, we're uh, saving until the end of it. So this one comes from Davy the Kidder. Now, maybe Davy calls himself that because he's joking around, right? Because he gives us a one-star review. And his subject is painful to listen to. All right, Davy. Here's what, here's what Davy had to say about the show. They're fine when they're interviewing someone, but otherwise... Jake screams like he's freebasing espresso and is the worst kind of obnoxious because he thinks he's being funny by sounding immaturely argumentative, but he isn't. It's as if he's auditioning to star in Step Brothers 2, not to mention the eye-rolling and cringeworthy segment where they read their own good reviews <laughs> and bad reviews, Davey, I want to point out to you. We also read the bad ones. It took 45 minutes before they got to the Joe Dante interview on the episode highlighting the Joe Dante interview. Well, damn it, Davey, when you got to that interview, though, it was gold. We gave you gold in that Joe Dante interview. Uh, it rambled so long that I thought I downloaded the wrong episode. Maybe <laughs> This is a this is a great dig. Maybe, maybe George Lucas was just actively avoiding Jake for fear of being screamed at about how great Jake thinks the podcast is. I do then think the podcast ends, is great. That's true. He hey does. Sean, could yeah. you officially call this a Jake's take? This is a takedown. A Jake's takedown. What's he weird does, is this is my mom. He does yeah, yeah, end is, on a is. on a really rational note though. He says Sean seems to be the only one who has any skill at podcasting. So oh my god, you, this is Sean! <laughs> Sean it's, wrote this it's, review. It sure isn't Gabe. <laughs> Gabe would not. Gabe exist. <laughs> you know who wrote this? Because Sean always says that we're his boys. I bet you it was his two sons because they're mad that we are considered his boys. So that's what it was. <laughs> PJ and Brendan, come on, guys, come on. The Step Brothers too is the giveaway. There, they love that movie so much. But listen, because we are um, fragile human beings, we also had to include a very quick and very kind five star review <laughs> from MKB. 
2019-1978, who says, Wonderful find. I just found this wonderful podcast for movie lovers. Thank you, guys! Exclamation point. Short, sweet, to the point. That's what I like to hear. Thank you very much. That's the balance. So, the the lesson here is: if you want to give critiques, we will we will listen. We will <laughs> Not listening the to that. He can and then fuck we will himself. Move, and then we will move. There's our e. There we go. Uh, thank you, guys, so much for leaving reviews. Honestly, um, all sorts of critiques, especially the five star critiques. Uh, they really do help us boost the profile on on Apple iTunes, and we're playing that algorithm to try to get uh, mentioned on the arts entertainment pages and all the movie pages so that the real blend family can grow. In addition to growing, we are taking the blender community, uh, on the road. We're going to, uh, beef up our presence in the Washington DC area with the, uh, Washington DC meetup that's taking place on Saturday, January 4th. The details to this are locking in very quickly. Gabe, when can we share all this stuff? Soon ish next week. Read what I have to read, Jake. He's saying, okay, so to plug the DC meetup, go to a website that I've already talked about, bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash DC, or look in the show description to sign up. There are only a few slots left for you to join us on Saturday, January 14th in the Georgetown area. I am able to note that we have the location finalized, but don't pl- <laughs> Sorry, I won't read that, but don't plug just yet. Uh, I mentioned that we're going to be in Georgetown. I can tell you now that the event is going to largely take place at the AMC uh, Theater in Georgetown. AMC 14, Kevin? Is that right? Something like that? The AMC 14. Gabe is, uh, yes, he's motioning, he's landing the plane. This is going really well. Uh, So we'll be the AMC in Georgetown on Saturday the 14th. The times are coming uh, I love that this is happening right after the guy said that Sean has podcasting experience. I have yeah, well zero, done. well done. Like, zero like podcasting skills. <laughs> Just in case anyone wonders the if we irony. plan in advance for this stuff, uh, we irony. don't. All right. Uh, correct that it's the fourth. Yeah, it's the fourth. It's January fourth at the AMC fourteen. <laughs> and I'm the one that gets called out. I hate this show. All right, next week. Line, dude. Hey, Sean, we'll be, did you? Uh, I, uh, I I stepped out of the room real fast and I talked yeah. to Henry Cavill and he he told me his favorite. Uh, Podcast? Did you hear about this answer? I didn't hear this. No. What no. Man of oh, real blend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got it's it just in time. All right. Listen yeah. to the, the follow yeah. the boys on social media at yeah. Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean yeah. underscore O'Connell. Please drop us a review uh, on <laughs> iTunes. We will read them at the bottom of the show. We'll be back next week um, with some potential guests that are still coming together on the schedule, and then maybe even more details um, about the. Live show, may I be able to tell you what it's going to entail? Hey, Sean. Um, not the live show, the DC meetup. Yes, Kevin. I'm just curious. You, Kevin, you're the one who has to go. <laughs> just curious if you heard about uh, Henry Cavill's favorite superhero of all time. I would guess it's Superman. Is it not Superman? <laughs> Tony Clark Kent. <laughs> Tony Stark, get it? Yeah, get it. Stark. Till next week, our favorite Christopher Nolan movie is Dunkirk. Dark the, the Prestige. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of Sean botching that after the read was beautiful. <laughs> it's
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.